Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business Podcast. This is episode 847. If you're like me and you have thought for a long time that the world of mergers and acquisitions, private equity finance, venture capitalism, and debt financing and banking and all that stuff just is more complicated than it needs to be, then you absolutely need to listen in on this episode. I met Elon Jacobson, who is on the show today, who is the co-founder of Firepower Capital up in Canada. I met him through one of my technical writers that helps us in a lot of the growth and exit planning on building up the SWATs and a lot of the executive summaries. And so Karen Fisman works for Elon. I got an intro to Elon and has been watching Elon on LinkedIn and what he's been saying. I just love his demeanor. So if you're okay with a couple curse words, this episode has definitely got a couple of those in there as he and I both get a little bit more colorful and I just followed suit because of his energy. And Elon has got the credibility to be able to say what he believes because he took a small family office with four people up to 30 plus investment bankers. They're doing private growth financing. So he's filling a void in the marketplace that a lot of banks can't fill where he's lending based in EBITDA, not on a balance sheet and not on collateral. He's looking at businesses and he's saying, okay, we're going to fuel your growth with private debt financing and for growth. And then he also has been doing investment banking because as these people grow, he then helps them sell. And then he became a private equity firm as well because he's helping people no matter what. And just to put some numbers behind what he's doing, they've done 15 private lending deals since 2016 when they launched the program with a total value of $241 million. And they've also got 76 deals actively in the works. And they've done 500 plus million dollars or half a billion dollars in investment banking total value since 2013 when they launched this. And he is just on an absolute kick to make sure that he can help entrepreneurs no matter what way they need to be helped. And as Elon and I have been talking back and forth, I'm just, I just absolutely love his energy because he's just very real on what's the state of the market, the overheating of pricing on the upper middle market of valuations, what's happening as far as the macro trends of interest rates, what's going to happen as things start to change over the next three to five years, the baby boomers we talked, we talked about. And we just really talked a lot about a different, a lot of different topics that's important to any seller today. And he's just no BS because he's an entrepreneur and he's just super real. So as we we're talking, I'm like, you know what? It's just refreshing to hear someone break it down who's literally got the street cred to be able to talk the way he is of what is going on in the marketplace and why and what he believes is going to be happening. So if you're ready for some very raw, very truthful and colorful conversations, tune in and listen to Elon. And if there's any favor I've got to ask is that if you enjoy the show, please go on the iTunes, give me a rating. It's absolutely crucial for me to find more guests. I'm trying to claw up the ladder and trying to find a bunch of really big heavy hitters as I want to bring more and more guests to you guys, the listeners, as I'm tying all these different topics together. So if you got the time, go on, give me a rating. And with that being said, I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Elon. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Elon, how you doing, man? I am good, my friend. How are you? 
Doing good. Uh, so the, we got the connection through one of your writers, Karen Fistman, who has created some really killer content for you guys and chatting with her. And then I saw you all over uh, my LinkedIn and uh, I love your style and I think this is going to be a fun episode. So, you know, for, for the listeners that are not familiar with yourself for Firepower Capital, kind of give, like you told me the story about how you had started in this, uh, in, in this business of being an entrepreneur and what you're providing. So give us kind of the, the couple highlights and the cliff notes from where you were and then how you ended up creating Firepower. Yeah, sure. I mean, Complete, complete fucking accident. I mean, uh, you know, I started my career, uh, well, even just go even further back. I, my whole life wanted to be a doctor, uh, did my degree in genetics, went to medical school, and then had the only Jewish parents on the planet that said, don't go to medical school. Um, cause they knew my DNA more than, more, more than I did. So I, uh, I ended up doing my MBA, um, got recruited by a venture capital firm, um, said no to medical school and then two years into kind of my, my venture capital career, realized that I was basically unemployable because I absolutely fucking hate doing what people tell me to do. <laughs> if, 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 if you don't sleep in my bed, you don't tell me what to do. It's real simple. <laughs> so um, we know who the true boss is. Right? Oh, yeah. No, the, the wife is the true boss. There's no question about that. <laughs> um, and, you know, being, be, you know, speaking of the wife, being a huge backbone and part of it because being together with my wife since I was 18, um, you know, I have two kids together now. So, uh, you know, I, I think that crazy entrepreneurs typically have to have something in their life that is solid uh, and stable, uh, because you know when when many things aren't solid and stable as an entrepreneur, you know, typically you need something, and that's definitely been my wife. So I landed up uh, 2009, uh, leaving venture capital to start Firepower with literally a desk, a chair, and a phone. Uh, partnered with a high net worth individual to help him diversify his portfolio through kind of a family office offering. You know, doing a deal a year became increasingly challenging for someone of my uh, ADD level, which is super fucking high. <laughs> and, uh, so, so landed up um, starting our advisory practice. So we're, we're now one of the largest kind of um, independent mid-market M&A shops in, uh, in Canada, a group of about 40 people, and have been a professional opportunist kind of ever since. I, I own everything from the largest axe-throwing company in the world called Battle to a home healthcare business to, you know, within firepower, we, we buy businesses through a private equity division and we, we lend money to companies through our uh, private capital division. So pretty well diversified at this point, have a, have an incredibly good group of uh, executives around me that, that make me look like I'm not a complete idiot. <laughs> That's the whole goal, right? Leverage. Exactly. So, you know, what I, what I, what I absolutely like super enjoyed about when we first started chatting and, you know, coming from my background of, you know, some of the different capital issues that we had when I was running the family business. And then you and I started talking, which we'll get into about the the challenges of the financing of transactions and growth and all these different things that I think you have really started to wrap your guys' head. I mean, I haven't seen anybody, honestly, that has kind of got the full suite of services that you guys do. And I, I love how you put it. And maybe you can, kind of, I don't want to spill the beans, but like how you said, like, if you're an entrepreneur and you and I were talking about some advice and the challenges of all this stuff, but like, how did you come up with all these different ways to help entrepreneurs? And what, what is your goal to sit when you're sitting across from someone? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it, I mean, my, my utopia when I looked at it and, and down the road was always to create an ecosystem. I'm, I'm a massive believer in, in ecosystems. And, and that's about, it's, it could go from your network to, you know, your advisors. To, it means everything, everything that you surround yourself. You're only as good as the people around you. 
So for us, it, it happened quite organically. Um, you know, I was a venture capitalist and I saw how hard it was for these earlier stage entrepreneurs to, to raise capital, uh, how inefficient the marketplace was. And it was about who you know, really not what you know, mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for the most part. So, you know, having to hack for that. And, and what was even more interesting is, you know, some of the best entrepreneurs were engineers who were naturally uh, really bad at speaking to people and, you know, being promotional. Um, so sometimes the people who got the money were just the loudmouth, obnoxious ones. Uh, I mean, I should fucking talk. <laughs> um, so of awareness, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. Um, but uh, you know, and then it was good, good companies that how how do they take the next step? You know, so it was it was when we came up with our our debt offering. Uh, it really was to provide entrepreneurs in lieu of a Series A. Uh, the ability to kind of scale their businesses. And then when I thought about it more, I'm like, well, you know what? Like, why are we helping some of the, these companies monetize their businesses through selling them? And that's kind of how the advisory practice works. Uh, or uh, on top of that, buy some of them, right? If, if we've worked with some people that we know are great, why aren't we buying some of them? And, and you know, why aren't we buying some of these businesses that, uh, that we think we can help scale? And get in, get in deep. You know, maintain some of the equity with the existing uh, founders, and and really help them take it to the next level. So I don't know if I answered your question. No, I think you did because like, you know, like what I found is so interesting is we're going to kind of yeah I know we're going to touch on kind of the the private growth capital that you guys are kind of uh, pioneering, and then like how this whole ecosystem works. Honestly, you know, when I that was the challenge that I had when we had our business, like, so we were on this horrible financing structure called factoring, which you are probably familiar with. And like, you just Very no, and, and banks really don't want to lend people money. And like all this, like the cap. No, no, they, they, they do. If you don't need it. <laughs> right. If you, well, I actually, like I was talking to some, uh, I, I made a call on a bunch of bankers recently because I, I'm looking at buying a, you know, you know, a couple of partners looking at buying a business and like, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll give you a loan, but we need a hundred percent collateral. I'm like, so yeah. what's the point of the loan? I don't understand. So, yeah. the, you know, the, there's this whole like, you know, of financing cash flow and how like constricting the, the capital markets are. So I think it's just really interesting. I think you did answer because an entrepreneur to accomplish your goals and to grow your cash flow. I mean, like capital is the hardest part. And I don't think the, when you say the markets are inefficient, I mean, there are, and maybe kind of give your, de- like, you know, give some of your, your two cents. And w- when you say it's inefficient on like finance, what are the, some of the things that you see and how you're helping them? Maybe that kind of goes into the, the private growth ca- uh, capital. Cause I think it's it, yeah. huge problems out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're better off to have no revenue than have some revenue. Cause at least with no revenue, no one could tell you your forecasts are wrong. You know, I, I, I use this word a lot, you know, the valley of death, you know, it, I speak to a lot of VCs and I've been in that community for quite some time. And if you're not growing your, your, your revenues by, you know, multiples every year, th- there's no interest anymore. It doesn't matter how much you burn. I mean, let me, I mean, literally look at all the success stories I know, and the amount crazy. of money they've burned through. It's about growth rates and it's about maintaining the growth rate so that then you can then sell it to the next schmuck in line <laughs> or, you know, that same 10 times forward, uh, you know, the 12 month revenue. I mean, th- that, the fact that I could even say 10 times forward revenue is fucking insane. <laughs> it's so but stupid. I know, I yeah, know. That, but that's, that's the reality of, of what that market looks like. Yet there's some really good stable businesses that have maybe raised a little bit of friends and family money, or maybe grown organically. And they're doing a hundred, 200, 300 grand of revenue a month, but they're growing it at a hundred percent a year. Ugh. 
how, how horrible of them. Huh? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, you know, no one's interested because they've proven that that's the business model. But those are some, there's some phenomenal businesses. And last time I checked, you know, there were a lot of people that made a lot of money by growing real, scalable, sustainable, good businesses that actually make fucking money. <laughs> right? Right. So, um, it, it, which is interesting, like as, so maybe this can, because I, I do want to touch on kind of you and I make sure that we, we go back to like the market, what we see happening as far, because like you, you know, when we were talking last time, you had some really good, I think, insights on some of the, the, the variables that are going to be kind of impacting us mm-hmm. and like the wave and the, the different kind of ec- uh, economical factors, economic factors. But, you know, before we do that, touching on this, this private growth capital, I mean, I read your guys' article and I was just like, holy shit, that makes so much sense. Because, you know, yeah. I, I found like, you know, as I've been talking to these uh, to a lot of these banks, I mean, and for my clients, whatever bank, mo- some, and I'm, so I'm not, I'm not trying to generalize too much here, but understanding actual cash flow and operations versus saying, Hey, you have equipment and land and buildings. Totally. And like, so d- maybe kind of tie that together on how you're looking at the financing and how you see this new kind of market coming up of private growth capital that is not going in there and saying, Hey, I'm buying a hundred percent of your company, but like fueling what they're actually already doing. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the market in Canada uh, is, is even more uh, exaggerated than the, than, the, than the U.S. market as it relates to this. So I'll speak about it from a Canadian perspective, but it relates North America wide. The banks understand balance sheets, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they understand AR. They understand, I mean, you spoke about factoring early, which is earlier, which, which is exactly that. It's just margining against your receivables. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they understand inventory. Uh, they understand equipment but they sure as hell don't understand the income statement. I mean, outside of, outside of, you know, a, a covenant that is, uh, you know, a debt to, a debt to EBITDA ratio or something like that, even, even debt to equity, I find debt to equity hilarious because I say, well, why does three to one debt to equity matter for a SaaS based business that pummeled money into building this thing, but now is cash flow positive. And their, their answer to me is, oh, well, they're over trading on equity. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means, which means you don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> that is like, that's just a word you heard from credit at some point in time. So it's just, it's the patterns of behavior. But, you know, that being said, let me be very careful to say this. I get why that exists. When you're a bank with hundreds of thousands of employees and you're as big as, you're as big as, as, as some of these banks are, you cannot afford to, um, you know, not underwrite through boxes. It, you're just too big. So that's why I'm, I'm okay with it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it is a responsibility of the other parts of the market to, you know, feed, uh, okay. so yeah, basically, yeah, fill the market with, 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 with what it needs. So how, how we've really built our product is that we're focused on enterprise value. And, and enterprise value means a lot of things. You know, we, we sell companies for a living. So I think our idea, our, our, our viewpoint on, on, on EV is, is, is usually based on, on, on fact because we, you know, we're not just going to go and say, oh, 10 times forward revenue because that's <laughs> insane and not, stale, and not scalable. But we also understand that there's a lot of companies that choose to break even or burn a little of money, especially if you're building a recurring revenue stream where it's like, well, should you really penalize these guys for investing in a sales team and a marketing team when they have four million dollars of recurring revenue at 80 percent margins that they could just milk for the rest of their lives but oh you know they're trying to grow like why can't you like you got to look at that that situation 
you know, with a, with a, a lens to actually try and understand it. And don't mm-hmm. just look, just don't just look at, at the numbers as being the numbers. And this is the, you know, this, this is what the cash flow spits out. Cause that's, it's not true. I mean, people talk about normalized EBITDA a lot as it relates to selling companies. Well, I talk about normalized cash flow a lot as it relates to lending to companies. Mm-hmm. I, th- well, I think that's huge because like, I, you know, and, and I, and I do agree with what you said about the banking system, because like there, there's a, they, they need to get their money back. And right. When you have that many people that you're lending to, I mean, there's, there's only so many things you can do. And Elon, have you read the book capitalism without capital? No, I haven't. Oh dude, it's an amazing book. So uh, Bill Gates actually wrote a big, huge blog article on it. And there was like 30,000 comments on it. And you you totally get the, you totally rally around it. I mean, essentially the gist of it is that the banking financing system of the entire economy is totally faulty because we can't bank on, on assets anymore. So it's capital without capitalism, without capital. Like there, there is no stuff, tangible stuff anymore. So you have to be looking at cash flow. <laughs> essentially the whole, the, and that's the whole premise of the book is that yeah, he, which is funny because I read the book before I came across you guys and you guys are like literally popping up, fulfilling what the book is, book is saying is like the new financing mechanisms need to pop out there because how else are like people supposed to grow and invest? Right. I mean, cause yeah. it, Otherwise, you're you're constantly like measuring the wrong things. I mean, I mean, take it even. Uh, to, let's talk about a, a, an actual stat. I heard that there's as much as ten times the amount of gold traded that exists on the planet. So you know, <laughs> going back to your your point, I mean, I like I don't understand these derivatives of derivatives. I just truly don't understand it. I mean, you know, I'm in finance, and you know, I can't imagine that these retail investors understand what the hell they're buying anymore. <laughs> uh, but like, I've, I'm a big believer in just real business. Like, if 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 you can't show me Uber, how you're eventually gonna gonna make money? And and, and they talk about unit economics or country economics. And even a funnier one. I mean, you must have seen um, what uh, the WeWork CEO came out and said about community normalized. But like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, that is like now we're making up terms to rationalize burning money. Like it's, it's <laughs> right. insane. Like, wait, wait, and I look like you say real businesses. Like, so you come to a location of yours and you throw axes. I give you, you I give you money. You give me axes and the exchange is done. And at the end of the day, you net more than you spent. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me of a Mitch Hedberg routine. I oh, I love Mitch. Mitch. Hedberg. Oh yeah. 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 So, so one of my favorite Mitch Hedberg jokes is, you know, I, I come to a donuts, a donut store, you know, I give you the money. You give me the donut. We don't need a receipt. Um, <laughs> when will I ever need the proof that I ate that yes. donut? <laughs> File it under D for donut. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, why, why does life have to be so complicated? It's, it's, it's providing services, you know, it's, it, it, and products. Well, and I, and that's what I love is like in, in the, the value is associated. Like there's, there's a guy that I have grown to absolutely love. His name is Ken San Gennario. He wrote, uh, he did this, uh, he built a product called the value opportunity profile, which takes the buildup method of evaluation and actually identifies the company specific risk. So he's got all these questionnaires. So it ties the company specific risk into the discounted cash flow. So it's like actually identifying the risk. And he, he was just talking about how it just doesn't like, that's the true essence of a business. And I, and like when I, when I went through the, the, the certification, Elon, I was like, Holy shit! They like none of these valuation consultants identify company specific risk. <laughs> yeah, because it's just about cash flow. Because 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 apparently, apparently, you know, um, a traditional phone system cash flow 
is the same as VoIP cash flow. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> like, like well, well, when did common sense not get layered into valuation metrics? <laughs> so, you know, when you and I were talking about like, you know, as you know, you had said, and I, and this is kind of the whole point of the podcast too, is like, when you sit in front of an entrepreneur who runs a company, you want to be able to help them any way that they possibly can. Right. So no matter what, what meets their needs, but as you start to look at all the things that you're seeing and you and I were talking about some of the macro stuff that's happening because we were talking about private equity and, you know, where these people are raising the money from and like just some of the big things that you're seeing and that you're tracking. If you want to kind of get like, give us like a, a brush, broad brush stroke of like you, you talked about some of the PE money that's kind of being you know recognized now and what the how the, the multiples are and the, the actual rate of return are happening and then like you and i were talking about the baby boomers just kind of give yeah so i'll, I'll, I'll give you my pitch and i'm like i'll start by saying i'm inherently biased because i make money by selling companies so obviously you know i have i have a, a a vested interest in convincing companies to sell their businesses that being said, I'm 35 years old. I look at this game long term and I really try and, and remove as much of my personal bias out of it. So I'm hoping that this comes across authentic and not as a sales pitch. But this is the reality. $5.7 trillion have been raised by private equity since 2015. I think three, three of the, yeah, three trillion is sitting on the sidelines. Or is it? Yes. There's more trillions sitting on the sidelines that has been called since 2015. So you have this glutton of supply of cash. Okay. You have interest rates at historical lows and availability of leverage at historical highs. The amount of multiples that banks are now giving to sponsors to help them compete in these inflated times of valuations is, is, is astronomical. So what you land up and then and then on top of that you have baby boomers that for whatever reason i mean i've been calling it for 10 years and i've been wrong for 10 years at some point at some point i'll be right well okay. they're just gonna get old like they're getting old they're, they're, no no they're gonna die at some point <laughs> they have to be right <laughs> like, maybe they hold on until they fucking die i don't know but um the, the reality is the supply of good companies is limited so you have like i'm not a like, I hope you can tell from, from the way I talk, like, I really believe in simplicity. But mm -hmm. I, if I can't explain this to my seven-year-old, then I'm, something is wrong. Right. It's simple supply and demand, right? You have, you have a low supply of good businesses with good cash flows and a fuck ton of demand for these businesses. So that's what's led to these historically high valuations. And I, you know, I speak to an entrepreneur who says, well, I could take my business from 4 million EBITDA to 8 million EBITDA in the next five years. I said, that's fantastic. You might be worth the exact same amount because today, <laughs> right. you know, today someone's willing to pay you 10 times, but I think people forget how quickly things turn, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, like go back to 2008, go back to the early 2000s. When shit turns, it turns real, real quick. And what I tell these entrepreneurs is the supply is coming. Right now, it's a seller's market. The supply is coming. And these private equity firms are going to have a field day when that supply comes. And you know, the whole uh, market dynamics reverses, which it will. It absolutely will. Um, it's just a matter of time. So, I mean, that's, that, that's what I think is going to happen. And I think it's going to happen really, really, really quickly.
you know, so, so let's 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 peel the crack because I I'm I'm agreeing with you, man. And like, and, and it's funny because like you know you and I are close to the same age, and like I look at like when I kind of hit into the the actual like working world. I mean, the economy had taken a shit, right? So like, I'm used to like waiting for the hammer to drop and working in the hardest times. And then you start to realize like, so when we sold our business, which was five years ago, so the average age of those 6 million, so there's 6 million privately held companies, right? You and I were kind of going over these stats and I do it a lot on the show, but 6 million privately held companies, only 20,000 of them are over hundred million and they employ 30 million Americans. So then you have, there's between 5 million and hundred million in revenue. There's 350,000 companies with 35 million Americans working for them. And then there's 5.6 million companies underneath five, uh, underneath 5 million. And if you just take the numbers that you and I know of these, of the cash, you say, okay, you're doing a hundred, or if you're doing 10 million in revenue, you're probably doing a million in EBITDA, you know, yeah. something, something around there. Well, yeah. you're, you're essentially getting retail help of all your advisors. You do not have bank financing that'll help with the transactions. You're screwed. I mean, like, the, like to try and like hand this off to someone because private equity doesn't go down below two or 3 million in EBITDA. And yeah. so therefore you have 85% of companies that are underneath the elite help that's out there. And the, like the average age is now 62. So when we sold, they were only 57. So 57, you're feeling good. You got energy. Now 62, you're going, you know, I got now social security. I'm now a grandpa. I got friends that are getting health issues. And like, you just, the, the tide just changes. And like, so kind of given that context, Elon, you know, kind of give the, your two cents on like, so the money that's sitting there and that's been deployed through because PE firms are popping up left and right because they're raising that they're because that money needs to be deployed, but it's not the money that's going to be solving the problem that I just discussed. So like, and then they're, they're now realizing the rate of return. So kind of explain what you were saying about how the, the like how the PE market's going to shift. Yeah, I think they're going to be forced to actually get their hands dirty. You know, they've, 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 they've had to. Uh, you know, they've, they've had the luxury, I guess, of buying these bigger businesses, which there's not many left. Those businesses are, are real enterprises, right? Like they typically are, like they, 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 they get higher multiples because they are more stable like that. There is a function of that. Right. Um, you know, these smaller businesses, it's, it's run by Joe and Mary and Sarah, like, like you need to figure out a way to get on the shop floor and transition those relationships and learn those businesses. It's going to, it's going to benefit the operator more than the financial engineer going forward. And it's exactly people think thought that I was crazy. <laughs> our, our head of private equity is an operator. Mm -hmm. He's an operator. So he is absolutely not a financial guy. Um, you know, he brought StubHub to Canada and was one of the executives that was, was responsible for that. Um, he was brought on by a private equity firm to a, a FinTech company to be their chief strategy officer. And everyone's like, why would you put someone like that as the head of your private equity division? And I said, because it's exactly that. When mm -hmm. we buy businesses, we're going to have to go in there and get our hands dirty. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what we're starting to do is build a, an operational support team you know, at head office that could be loaned to these companies as we buy them to help um, you know, institutionalize them. Mm -hmm. That can help you know, transition the, the DNA of some of these smaller companies into you know, what is a more sustainably... Uh, you know, a managed business that isn't reliant on one individual. But I think a lot of private equity firms are going to make the mistake of just going down market and putting a whole bunch of these businesses together and get their fucking asses handed to them when it all falls apart. Well, because like I, I, 
I've been watching that too. You know, I'm sitting there going, okay. So like, you know, as I've, you know, cause I want this, I want the different way to where, where, where I am today too, where like I was running a business, right. And helped turn around a business. And like, then you're like, you're, you're working in that lower mid market. And then as I started learning about the financial engineering and all the deal structure, I'm like, people can just like shuffle shit around. And like, so you, you know, the reason you hover over two or 3 million EBITDA is because you can literally fly across the U S sit in on a boardroom, go, you should be doing this. And then you fly back home. I'm like, well, what happens when you have to like rip apart the ERP system or like fire the VP of sales because they've got personal issues. I mean like the real stuff, right? Like yeah. I don't, they don't know how to do that. And like, they've been like, you know, there's this whole secret sauce over the years that, you know, it started with Blackstone and then they like just move, moved all the way down where they were just capitalizing this cash flow that a lot of people just didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the average rate of return was, you know, kind of go back to like tying that back to the, the dry powder and the capital that's sitting on the sidelines. And what you, you mentioned in the last call with me is like what's happening as the rate of returns that these people's promised, like the institutions that they got it from and what's at what you see actually happening and how that's going to impact going forward. Yeah, you know, I, I talked about the supply of good companies, you know, uh, uh, the supply of companies, period, but it's going to go up. They're not going to achieve the returns that they've promised. You know, the, the, the days of mid-20 returns for private equity are over. You cannot buy something for 17 times EBITDA and expect that. It ain't going to happen. So what's, what's inevitably going to happen, and, and quite frankly, the private equity teams know this. I mean, behind closed doors, no one's talking about 20% returns. Like no one, you know, they're talking about how the hell do we maintain 12, 13, um, which is a radical shift. So what's going to end up happening is the institutions are going to start, or the pension funds are going to start moving more of their money into fixed income. I mean, it just, it always just shifts back and forward and back and forward. So you're going to have this double compounding factor of the private equity firms raising less capital when, when those returns start to play out, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're still protected by the fact that a lot of these funds have vintage years still left in them. Like they, they, you know, they, they raised five, six years ago, probably bought a few companies. Well, those funds don't look too bad, but the funds that they're raising now, I'll, I'll put a bet. I'll put a bet that if you can go back six years from now and look at the returns from 2019 raised funds that were raised in 2019, I'm going to bet on average sub 15%. And I'm being, I think I'm being extremely generous. Well, and, and you, I, I, because I think when you, when you like smash some of those, um, those data points together, you're saying, okay, well, they, need, they were able to raise the money from people, the institutions, so pension funds and endowments and all these people that need. And, and I actually look at one more like variable after that, Elon, is like these pension funds and stuff are going to this kind of asset class because they're over, they have, they have too many liabilities from the people uh -huh. that are like, that they have to pay for the retirements while the whole wave of baby boomers are like actually going to like it, the whole thing just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, like how it's going to work out. But then, so like when you, when you say that, that like those rate of returns, so they, those institutions needed that 20%, yeah. they pay their liabilities. <laughs> and then, mm -hmm. you know, when you say that the, like the, when you look at those numbers that I was talking about of like the 20,000 companies that are over a hundred million in revenue, and then like, they don't have the ability to actually talk and actually invest in work in the companies that you and I are talking about. Cause like, there's going to be that wave that comes, but I don't know who has the financial wherewithal and the operational experience to be able to like actually be buyers of these companies that are going to be going for sale. I mean, no one yet. I mean, you know, people are, people talk about the search funders. I mean, I know the search funders are a big part of the, yep, yep. Kind of the American story. 
look, some of them, some of them will end up being great operators. Some of them won't be. I mean, they're all fresh out of Ivy League schools. I, mean, I don't know how many of them really know what the fuck they're in for, right? Like, like you, you just like you go to networking events and you wear your fancy tie, and you're going to be going and 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 meeting, you know, Joe on the front, uh, you know, lines of a manufacturing facility, and he doesn't give a fuck about your tie. <laughs> he cares about the machine not being broken, right? right? Like that, that like, like I don't know how these people are going to relate to some of these to some of these individuals. Like they're they're in for a world of hurt. Um, and I've always been fascinated by the the reason that these search these search funders have popped up because I don't know what makes these Ivy Leaguers good at operations. I mean, I'd argue that they'd be the last ones I back in in, in that capacity. I mean, I'll, show me someone who, you know, dropped out of school in grade 12 and somehow made it work, like, I'll back that person. Like, I just, I think it's, I think it's actually counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I may, maybe a lot of these guys that invest in these search funders, search funders are actually buying themselves mentorees. Like, there's something that they're getting out of it emotionally. I, I was going to say, I think there might be a little bit of that. And like, you know, and I, there, again, just because of the pe- the people that you and I end up talking to, like I have probably a skewed version of it. Where like the there are people out there that have you know had a track record of not necessarily track record. That's a bad word because that's more financial perspective of like you know ten fifteen years in the working world, and they're going. Hey, but there, but that's like the one percent, right? You know, you're like going, okay, yeah, you're right, capable. Right. You're capable of doing this. There, there, there's good in every like like there, there are some search funders in Canada that have done a phenomenal job. But like, I wouldn't have known how to pick that they were the <laughs> right. that were going to be that. that, yep. that. Like, yep. it turns out they were. They're awesome. Yeah. Right. They're always going to be awesome operators and and not awesome operators, and you're not always going to know. Um. But yeah, it's, it's. But like, but then like, but then you say, okay, well, there's going to be three to four million companies that go to market right. in the next four or five yeah. to seven years. Like, how did? Yeah. I, I think a lot of them, I think a lot of them are just going to die. I think they're just going to like just literally. I, 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 the other thing that, that I think that banks and other lenders are going to have to do is we're going to have to get a lot more aggressive in helping a lot of these managers actually buy out mm-hmm. the businesses. Because, I mean, they're the most equipped, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's going to come from internal. The, the problem's not going to be fixed externally. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe we buy 10% of the businesses as competent private equity buyers, but... I mean, so, I mean, companies that are sub 500 candy, but like, I don't think anyone could really buy. Like, it's really difficult because it's usually reliant on the relationship. And the only person that's probably best suited to take over that relationship is someone internally. Well, and, and even if you even if you could, you can't cash flow with the banking mechanisms that are out there right now. Right? I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to require the an owner that uh, helps their management team buy the business by you know kind of being a sub debt within the business, i.e. the you know the VTB. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, more creative banks that, uh, that aren't looking for astronomical returns that are going to, you know, bleed the company out of the, you know, much needed cash flow. But yeah, I, I, and guess what? Sometimes there aren't solutions. Yeah. Sometimes there aren't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting, man. Like I, I think about like that, those dynamics, and then you slap on like, you know, uh, the, you know, Ray Dalio's whole opinion about our big debt cycle and, and like the technology innovations. I, I don't know. It's, a, it's, in, it is interesting time. Cause like you, you and I, like, that's why like, I guess so jived with one or with your, our, our call, because I'm like, I totally get this stuff. And it's like so apparent, but then it's like, everybody is on this heyday of paying 10 times revenue or EBITDA for these companies. I'm going, I don't get it, man. 
they don't have an option. They have capital that they've that, 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 that is committed to them. And the only way they make money is by deploying capital. So let, let me ask you, if, if, if you, if you put out 20 bids in a row and you lose every single one of them, what are you going to do as a team of eight guys in a room that are supposed gonna, to spend money? You're going to increase your price. <laughs> like you don't have an option, whether it's clever or not. I feel bad for them. I really do. Like there's, what are they supposed to do? Yeah. 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 What are they supposed to do? Like, the, like if they keep losing and they've committed to people that they're going to deploy capital, there's nothing they can do. Do you think, Elon, that there's a, there's a, like when I was like, you know, as I've been talking to some of my closest um, partners and mentors and stuff like that, it's like, there's an opportunity for like wealthy individuals and family offices who don't have to play the games of the institutions to create I, mean, I don't want to say like a private equity fund, but like a slush fund, like whether it's the growth, private growth capital that you're talking about or ways to like help finance the transitions of these, like, you know, the, the 250, the 2 million in EBITDA, which I think is like the heart of America. There's yeah. got to be some ways to like rally some people around that have different perspectives and, and like literally can call the shots with their own money instead of like, you know, up the chain of suits. I mean, there's got to be some. Hey, they, they, they are doing that. I, I've, I'm starting to see that trend in Canada at least. And, and quite frankly, they're, they're, they're better suited for the problem because a lot of them made money in businesses that they grew. So they, 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 are, they are entrepreneurs and operators um, by just DNA. Mm-hmm. I mean, have they, have they transitioned that skill set down to the second or third generation? Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to rhyme off the stats of, of third and fourth generation money. Uh, I think everyone knows what those look yeah. like. But, um, but, but some have, I mean, I know some very, very great family offices in Canada that have some phenomenal first generation and second generation, um, talent working together, uh, really branding themselves as a, as a private equity, um, you know, business looking Mm -hmm. to get more actively involved. So it is starting to happen and people, you know, we're not the only two that see the writing on the wall. People are starting to take notice, um, Probably not as many as as as, as, as is needed, but um, you know, so be it. I mean, I mean, that's the opportunity for for people like us. I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, there, there, there'll be people listening to this 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 podcast saying these guys are absolute fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, we're, we're, we're idiots. Fine. What are you doing? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It's just so nice to not know that I'm the, the only crazy one. So at least we, you and I, can <laughs> by ourselves, even if we are wrong. But. Um, what what is you what do you experience you know, with like like I I you know, I think the the sentiment's changing a little bit as I, like I said as like in it's so funny because I don't know how many people you talk to on a daily basis but I talk to a lot right and like you start to hear the chatter change and like when you have like you know even my dad's you know cohort of uh, of his age bracket I mean they're not talking about growing business anymore they're going how the fuck can we get down to Fort Myers <laughs> you know what I mean like how can we get out of this and so like you start to hear the chatter change a little bit which starts to kind of like are you seeing anybody that's actually doing preparatory work to get their their businesses like prepped and ready because that's the whole point of my business and the podcast but like i find it difficult to find the people that want to do the hard work to get the the actual outcome that they want and then also it's like you know because the mental shift it's hard to come back from that you know what i mean like to go yeah, no totally i i, I think Again, it's it's. I might have a uh, an overinflated view of how many people are doing it because I speak at so many events on this topic. So I'm meeting the business owners that are taking the initiative to come to these events. Yeah, 
So, so, so I see a lot of people that are looking to get information on how to get ready, but I'm sure for the 50 people in the room, there's 5,000 that aren't there. Yeah. Um, but I'm not well, then the 50 in the room. How many people are actually going to do it too? Right. So you start to like, yeah, yeah, no, it's a good point. That's a good point. And, and I do agree with you. The emotional side of it is it is hard to come back from, you know, like once you've kind of committed to that process, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go. I mean, we're investing pretty heavily internally. We just hired uh, a full-time data scientist um, to come on board and we don't even have a plan for him. But what we want to do is we want to rent this individual to some of these companies who have swaths of data to A, figure out you know, what they're doing right and wrong and, and B, ways of monetizing their data as, mm. a, as an additional revenue stream within their businesses to you know, enhance their EBITDA prior to sale. Mm. Uh, so so we, 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 we got uh, an Israeli data scientist, as one does. I mean, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> you were going to smudge that virus back in the, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and then we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to seeing um, how we can help facilitate that, uh, that, that transition. But yeah, well, the, 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 the issue is you can't force entrepreneurs to do things they don't want to do. They're thirty years into or, yeah, they're thirty years into not taking orders from anybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, it's uh, it is interesting because like you know, like there's, and that's why I I think you know what I've been trying to facilitate with our business and like even that the conversations and the conferences and the keynotes and all that stuff is getting people into like the like you know that's why I think the private growth capital is is a very genius way of getting into the relationship before the exhaustion happens, you know, because once that happens, like people don't want to do the hard work that it takes mm-hmm. to actually continue it. And so like, I, there's gotta be ways to insert into like the, the momentum of the energy before that, like shift in the mindset happens. Yeah. And, and sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you get it wrong. I mean, uh, just a, an interesting story of, 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 of how much effort, you know, you know, you need, to, to play that game. Our first loan we ever did for a million dollars went bad. We had to put the, the, the company through a process. Uh, we landed up doing a creditor bid, bought the business with our own debt, basically moved them from to, uh, their location into my office. Mm. Uh, took them down from 27 employees to seven employees, rejigged their entire business model, brought in a CEO, but then 14 months later, sold it for six and a half times. Holy right. Shit. So incredible <laughs> outcome. But like, like that's that just a lot of work. That that's just pure and utter like brute force, right? <laughs> like, like you, you know, yeah, you have to be willing to do that. And not only that, you have to be willing to do it at scale because there's no question. I mean, that sounds like an incredible outcome, but I promise you that the amount of money we deployed in the fund was vastly reduced because of all the time and attention that went into that uh, kind of turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always there's an action for every, you know, a reaction for every action, yeah. action for a reaction. So, you know, not, not, not nothing smooth. It's about, uh, you know, how you deal with it. Uh, I, I do think uh, good strategy isn't enough. I think uh, good strategy let, layered onto like really fucking hard work. And mm-hmm. a lot of people just aren't willing to put the work in, as you say, mm-hmm. they get tired. Um, you got to be honest with yourself and know whether, you know, people say like, Oh, should I go buy a business? I'm like, do you, do you want to put in a, a, a lot of work? 
you know, and, and, and not like, not, not say that you want to, <laughs> right. do you really want to? Oh my God, man. Like, it's so funny. Cause like when I tell people, I'm like, yeah, we were juggling a quarter million dollar payroll every two weeks. And like, there was like 25 times that we were, didn't have enough money. We always made it, but like, yeah. we, we always joke that my dad and I joke that like the, the price of Captain Morgan went up yeah. what we were doing. <laughs> Cause it's like, sure. there's, you just can't give up. You just don't like, what are the options? Right. And that, but I said like, there will not be anything that I do in the rest of my life that is harder than that. Like ever. <laughs> Brutal. It's, it really is. I mean, yeah, it's uh so if you, if you were a listener that, so one of the 50 people in the conferences that, that you're given like the speaking events all the time, or you're one of the listeners, like what are like actionable things that you tell people, like do these things, think this way. And like that you'll just, you'll actually see results. Like what are the, what's kind of your usual. Well, as, as it relates to preparing for a sale, is that kind of. Is, yeah. Is whether it's for sale or growing the business or like navigating the waters of what's to come and they sure. kind of. Whatever usually uh, rolls yeah, up. Yeah, I, I, I'd say. I mean, this is a universal thing. I always say is uh, people don't invest and they don't buy individuals. They invest and they buy entities. An entity means it is something unto itself. That is the definition of an entity. Mm-hmm. So, if you if your business is reliant on you and you don't have the infrastructure b- below you to support you know, scale. And, 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 and if you got hit by a bus, this thing would, would die. Figure out ways where that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard for some people because there is a bit of an ego trip with being the man or the woman, um, you know, the, the one that everyone goes to. But I can tell you it's a lot more fun being able to build a real business. Mm-hmm. And building a real business relies on not everything funneling through you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things I would absolutely um, tell people to do. Um, I would also tell them to, 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 to take their head out of the sand and don't make excuses for loss. I cannot stand people who lose a deal or lose a client and then somehow rationalize it to themselves by saying, oh, well, we didn't really need that client. Like that is, that's a recipe for disaster. And I've seen it over and over again. If that doesn't burn you and cause you to reflect on what you did wrong, you're fucked. So be self-aware, let things hurt, evaluate all consistently evaluate what you're doing. So you don't be the one that's, you know, dead in the water. Mm-hmm. If you were, so like there was one of the, and that's super good insight. And I was going, I was thinking about one of the videos that I saw on LinkedIn of you and you were talking about like, so if you're an owner and you're thinking about either selling or staying in, you know, if you were to forecast over the 10 years, how would you make your decision? So would you be the one that is, buying up these other businesses and staying in for how long or like if you were planning on selling in certain you know range what would you do like you yeah. that question makes sense I, well i i would sell i would sell now over the or in the next two years or i would sell in 15 years i think there's gonna be some carnage you know between five and 15 based on all the things that we've spoken about uh, i do think it'll be a great time to buy between five and 15 um, so it, it will change, like I said, from a seller's market to a buyer's market. Um, but if, if, if you're looking at selling in eight years, I would caution you greatly about I, cautioning about <laughs> selling in eight years. I don't know if you, uh, there was a guy, uh, an economist that I, um, it's ITR econo- uh, economics that, so the listeners want to go back and listen to it. He was talking about the 10 year forecast, this guy and his company, they, uh, they advise to Vistage worldwide. I don't know if you're familiar with this Vistage up in Canada, but it's peer groups, right? So 25,000 business owners. And so this guy, he says, he goes, 
uh, if you want to grow and sell your company and do that, he goes, what I would do is I would grow my company up over the next two or three years. And then I would sell it to the person I hate the most. <laughs> <laughs> and then buy it back when they're fucked. Yeah, and then <laughs> buy it back for pennies on the dollar eight years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, what's beautiful about it is we're all guessing. Right. You know, we, we, you, know, I, you can have as much conviction in, 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 your, uh, uh, you know, in, in your thoughts as, as anyone else, but... The beautiful part is we're going to find out because because t- time goes one way. Yeah, that's very well said. Well, if uh, the listeners want to get in touch with you, want to follow you or what, what, what the, the, all the resources, what's the best place? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as, as, as you know, Ryan. So uh, hit me up on LinkedIn um, and uh, you can contact me by, by email anytime. I, uh, I'm pretty damn responsive. So happy for you to give them my email address. Elon, this has been a blast, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, man. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Elon. What a blast it was doing that with him. I was able to maybe show a little bit my true colors than I normally do on these episodes. And if there's any big takeaway I would have is use your common sense when you're thinking about this entire world of mergers and acquisitions. Just Elon's comment about why banks lend off of a balance sheet. It just makes so much sense. And, you know, I just got done actually listening to this book called Profit First, which again, just layers on common sense to this whole world of business. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, as you're looking at selling your business and you're taking this whole complex world of M&A, all the different technical advisors, technical strategies, use your common sense and then actually trust your gut and then find really close people next to you that you can trust to help you navigate all the other complexities because they don't need to be complex, but everybody makes it complex. So trust your gut, keep researching, keep learning. Our next episode is absolutely a blast too because the next episode is with Peter, who is the co-founder of Axial. .net, which is a online M&A marketplace. And it's also a great episode because we're just talking the real stuff and we're trying to distill this down to something that everybody else can listen to and learn and be able to trust their gut as they go through the navigating waters that are growing and selling their company. So that being said, I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will see you next week.